I'll just take just a few moments to let you know a little about our brother, our father in God, our friend, Sean Adeshoy. He spent his active youthful days in Enugu. He was active in the youth fellowship of St. Bart's Asata. He actually schooled at IMT and he had his diploma in computer science. But he hasn't stopped there. By the grace of God, he obtained his diploma in theology and Bachelor of Arts in Religion from Trinity College Umahia. And yet, he had another diploma this time in Intercultural Studies at Ibadan Missionary Center affiliated to Bethany University in Singapore. He had also capped it up by the grace of God with an MA from the University of Nigeria in Soka. A brother, a friend, a speaker is not only well read, he's lettered, but above all, is a man of the words. He's a man of passion for ministry and building up the saints of God and equipping the church. He has a passion for discipleship. He was the mission coordinator for mission partners while at Nsuka Diocese before he was elected bishop and it extended up to Ada Diocese. Currently, he is a member of the board of Church of Nigeria Missionary Society. So, evangelism, missions, and things that have to do with building up the body of saints and equipping the church in discipleship are where the Lord impassions him. Their synod last year was on discipleship related. And so by the grace of God, we have a man who have worked closely with the Lord. The man of faith, to cap it, because he's personal and he's a very simple person. Our minister this evening, having served the Lord in various capacities, was married in April 2001 to our mommy, Ifama Mamansuka. Incidentally, he's not here because there's a program she has. And for 18 good years, they had no children. And he was praying for others, and God was answering the prayers. But, after 18 and a half years, on October 4, 2020, here at Park Lane, the Lord gave them triplets. Two boys and a girl. And the two boys, Emmanuel and Elijah, are part of the reason why Mama Nsuka is not with him today. The Lord has worked with him, and he has worked closely with God in faith and in prayer. And it's my honor and pleasure to have a father in God, a brother, just at this much. He doesn't need, and he doesn't want, and he doesn't like much introduction. As soon as the choir finishes now with their ministration, he will take up the stage. And may the Lord bless your ministry, even amongst us, sir. Our brother is right, Reverend Bishop. That's for those who want to add the bishop aspect. But the right reverend is the right one. Aloysius Eze Abu Oonyono Son of the Son in the Weber Oonyeneke 
neighbor and neighbor. You are welcome, sir, in Jesus' name. God bless you.
this is our cry this evening. We are here for you. We've answered your call this weekend. Have your way in our lives. Change us. Change us, God. Open our eyes to see clearly what you are seeing to the touch. Draw us closer to yourself. Make us disciples that we may go to make others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to thank God for this wonderful opportunity of standing before you and to be the speaker in this weekend revival. I thank the Archbishop of Enugu Ecclesiastical Province and Bishop of Enugu for giving me this opportunity. I also appreciate the vicar of this chapel, a very close friend and father, Venerable Professor Sam Ike, and the entire leadership of this chapel. I see the invitation to be here as an honor. And uh, when I got the invitation and the team, I was excited because uh, you asked me to speak on a team that I so much have passion for, especially this time. So I'm happy being here and I'm happier because of the team which as I've been told is the year 2021 theme for the chapel go ye into all the world and make disciples I want to say that I've been led to what we'll be doing from today to Sunday is pure teaching I'll be handling it from that angle and we will be concentrating on discipleship if you permit me I will give title to what we'll be saying from today to Sunday as a call to intentional discipleship a call to intentional discipleship. My plan is that this evening, as introduction, we'll be looking at why do we need or do we are we talking about discipleship, the need for discipleship. 
Then from tomorrow, from the leadership section, we'll be looking at the right step to take if we will actually do this intentional discipleship. In the evening also, we will go further in that step. And Sunday during the service, when we'll be concluding, we will paint a picture of what may help us to know where we are as individuals and pray that God will use that to challenge us to rise up to that call of intentional discipleship. So this evening, we want to look at why talking about discipleship now. And uh, can see, he said, why revival tarries? Why revival tarries? Before we take our text, or part of our text, Ezekiel 22, 23 to 31, I, I want to share with us this story. There was a story of a young clergyman, uh, uh, Venerable Okorafo, who faced a huge challenge in his ministry. During his seven years of service in a very big church, he has seen little real spiritual change in the people. Though members are in their thousands, the music is loud enough and programs seem to be lively. There seems to be little evidence of spiritual maturity. Gossip, ethnic tensions, divisions between different groups, and unfriendliness towards newcomers seem to characterize this church more than the image of Christ. For sure, everyone wants change in that church. The youths want the church to be more like the ministries they watch on television. The women ministry leaders think the church needs to be focusing more on social concern like visiting members and helping needy people. And the members of the uh, PCC, not PDF, want to change the constitution so that they can remain in their, they can retain their position. Other clergymen working with Venerable Korafo desire a better welfare scheme for the workers. Everyone wants change for their own agenda. Then Venerable Okorafo under this tension have been wondering why the low spiritual state despite the opportunities they enjoy. And he have been wondering how do I bring change in this church? I think this story is a good picture of most of our churches. If you talk to every average member of our churches, they will tell you we need revival. 
some may not actually understand what revival means. Some who may have a good understanding of revival may not know the right approach. Why some may have a different understanding of what revival should be. Now, let's look at Ezekiel 22. I want somebody to help me read from verse 23 to 31. Two. From verse 23. In the day of wrath, there is conspiracy of our princess within her, like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, take treasures and precious things, and make many widows within her. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between unclean and the clean. They shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbath, so that I am profane among them. Her officials within her are like wolves, sharing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for they, for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord said when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land practice extortion and uh, commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy I mistreat the alien, denying them justice. I look for a man among them who will build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so I will not have to destroy it, but I found none. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads. Oh, they have done this in the word of God. Thanks be to God. I want to use questions in discussing topics like this. So I will be asking questions. Now from the story of Venerable Korafo and his church. Do you think that church represents the church today? the church of Venerable Okorafo in the story I've just told before reading the, the Bible passage. Do you think that church represents the church of today? Especially in Nigeria. Eh? Now, in your own view, what do you think is the greatest hindrance to revival in the church? The greatest hindrance to revival 
Yes, ma'am. Can you self? Okay. What do you think is the greatest hindrance to revival? Or do we have, are we revived? Eh? Please answer me now. Okay. What do you think is the hindrance? Who help me? Our sister has said self. Yes? What? Procrastination. Eh? Okay. Yes? Okay. Yes, sir. Selfishness. Okay. You know, there was a time, look at the way I, I see it. There was a time I was thinking that why we don't have revival in the church or in our church today is that our clergymen are not revived. Do you agree with me? Eh? It's part of it. Eh? Okay. There was also a time I was thinking that the problem is that some of our clergymen are old. That we need younger, vibrant once. Do you agree with me on that? You don't? Uh-uh. <laughs> so I'm alone. There was a time also I was thinking that why we don't have revival is that we don't organize good programs that will revive people. Do you have that view? I was also thinking that why we don't have revival today is that we talk so much about money. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. There are so many factors we look at as reasons why we don't have revival. I've also heard people say the reason is that the teaching, the quality of teaching coming from our pulpit is not the time that can set fire on the hands of men. There are so many reasons we can lay hands on as hindrances what has kept the church in the state we are now. Now, 
Look at our text, Ezekiel 22. I will also ask some questions. Look at that passage again. Let me give you a minute to look at it. Can you identify three persons that we are rebuked here or that God was not happy with? Three group of persons. Can you identify them? Yes, if just raise up your hand, let me know. Yes. The priest, yes. The prophets, the leaders, princes. Then, I think, there's also the fourth group, the people. He talked about the people. Now, with this, you can see that God did not in any way pinpoint a particular group. He blamed the priests. He blamed the prophets. He blamed the princes. He blamed the people. Let me ask you again. How did God describe the people here? How did he describe his people? Eh? How did God describe his people? Who will help us? Who will help us? Yes, sir. They oppress us. Yes. They do what again? They rob. He, he, he says something like that the land is not cleansed. And that the land has not received rain. Did you see something like that? The land is dirty. The land is not fruitful. It hasn't received rain. This is a picture of a people that is far away from God. Now, let's go back to our team text, Matthew 28, verse 19. We will bring these things together. Matthew 28 verse 19. Can we read it together from the screen? Matthew Therefore go. Can we read it together? Therefore go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Our text, that's Matthew 28, 19. 
It's a very popular verse in the Bible. And you know, we usually call it the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And many people interpret it to mean evangelism. Evangelism. But there's something I want to show us this evening. In Africa, the rate of the growth of churches in the 20th century can be nothing less than miraculous. As statistical records show that the number of Christians has grown from less than 9 million in 1910 to more than 516 million by 2010 in Africa. Even more amazing is that this trajectory of growth is predicted to increase so that by year 2050, one out of every eight persons in the world will be an African Christian. Evangelism has been the focus of most of the churches and millions of people have been incorporated into the local church. How old is this church, this chapel? 16 years. So, 20 years ago, there are many churches in Enugu Diocese now that we are not there. And in each of these new churches, when you get there, you see great number of people. Evangelism have been the focus of most churches and millions are coming in. People are repenting. People are joining. In the villages, even though idolatry seems to be rising again, people are not too bold to say they are not Christians. They don't go to church. Where you will notice this is that in the barriers that we conduct this time, whenever anybody that doesn't attend any church dies, it's either that the relations will plead with a pastor to come and pray, or they will silently bury the person and then fix funeral. So, everybody seems to be interested in the church, and many have gone into the church. However, like many churches around the world, these members that are in the church are just there, but developing spiritual maturity and effective mission is being hindered by nominalism, traditionalism, and influence of false teachers. They are there. But you don't see growth, spiritual maturity. And there are three major causes. Nominalism. Just come and go. Register your name. Pay all the payments. Join all the necessary groups. 
You are there. But your heart is not there. Whenever I talk about this, I remember a story I had. A small boy. Very heady. Said the boy was in primary school when this thing happened. The teacher, the boy did something. The teacher asked him to kneel down. And the boy refused. He refused. Said no. I won't kneel down. Then the teacher came in anger to bounce on him. The boy reluctantly knelt down. When the teacher turned to go, later turned to him and said, you would have refused to kneel down and I will show you that I am your teacher. The boy said, I am kneeling down but in my heart I am standing up. So many people are in the church but in their hearts they are somewhere else. Nominalism. Traditionalism. This is the way we do it. Once you are baptized, once you are confirmed as an Anglican, finish. You answer all the catechism. You pay all the payment and do all the things that is required of you. Traditionalism. And the worst that is hitting us now is influence of false teachers. So many things are going out in the name of teaching. The church, they say, the church in Africa is a mile, is, is, is a mile wide and an inch deep. Which is meant to describe the shallowness of the Christian faith in Africa. When I say Africa, I think Nigeria more. For those of you that have traveled outside this country, you know how they see us. You know how they view us. You say you are Nigeria, they will ask you so many questions. Even when you dress like a priest or bishop, once you say you are in Nigeria, they will search you more than they have searched others. So our dress and our position in the church is not even helping us. We are not growing. We are not mature. We are not growing. Relate with somebody. Just close relationship with somebody. And you will say things that will make you ask questions. And you may say, I don't know this brother is like this. Little relationship. We show faithfulness. We see hypocrisy. Many of us have learned how to live double standard lives. We are a different person in the church. And a different person in the house. A close observation of Christianity of our time will attest to a rapid numerical and infrastructural growth. We have churches in almost all the streets. 
churches. We have increasing number of both ordained and lay church leaders who are strong in commitment. They are strong. Call them anytime they will be there. Very strong. They are also strong in vision. By our own human evaluation. The church has shown some level of commitment to evangelism. Evangelism. And in organizing both outdoor and indoor programs in different colorations. In fact, we can boldly say that we have now a very active church. Very active. But disappointedly, in the words of John Stott, even growing churches today are often growing without depth. Just what said, growing churches today are growing without depth. The state of the church is marked by a paradox of growth without depth. Our zeal to go wider has not been matched by a commitment to go deeper. Church leaders and many members may be strong in commitment and vision, but many have never experienced being discipled themselves. That is to say, it will be difficult for anybody to grow without being discipled. And our traditional church programs and training institutions are not adequately resulting in transformation at the local church level. We are not being transformed. It seems that our methodology, our tools of training is just meant to give us head knowledge that doesn't result in any transformation of lives. And that's why you see people, they are Christian, they are there. But their character remains the same. And some other people will think that the best way to achieve it is by changing dress and giving rules what to put on and what not to put on. And we have seen that those things failed us. Because we refused to be transformed inwardly into the image of Jesus Christ. Dr. Howard explained that when a person that a, when a person makes a profession of faith and is never taken through a formal discipleship process, then there is little hope of seeing genuine spiritual transformation. Discipleship needs to be in the DNA of today's church, from the pulpit to the classroom to small groups and to whom we need pastors and church leaders and individual believers to focus on building a culture of discipleship in the church this what we want to discuss this weekend how 
we can develop culture of intentional discipleship at this church level. There's critical need for Jesus' model of local church-based disciple-making that integrates the principle of intentionality and the relationship with life transformation and multiplication. What I mean by this is that we have been doing discipleship. Discipleship is not a new language in the church. Very common. And let me share this testimony. A little story about my life. I gave my life to Jesus on the 10th of August, 1988. About 33 years now. When I was in my village. The same year, in October, I came up to Enugu. And I live with a relation in Emene. And because I've given my life to Jesus two years before, I joined the scripture union of Emene Township Group. I was followed up there by very committed believers. Two years later, I moved to Asata lived at Ogui Road. And on my own, when I joined the scripture union there, Asata group, I decided to go through follow-up again. So, I went through that follow-up two times. And by faithful, mature Christians, And by the grace of God, I've continued to walk with the Lord. So I became a Christian before answering the call. I answered the call in 1996. Many years later. And when I got into the ministry, by the grace of God also, I have been seeing what God has been doing through my ministry. Let me put it in that way. But brethren. When I look back. Both in the lives of those people that have ministered to. When I so look back deep into my life. I discovered that there are struggles. Within me. Struggles. Somehow, two years ago, the Lord led me to, because before that two years, and because of these struggles, when I'm talking about struggles, I mean when you are a Christian, even people around you are saying, you are doing wonderfully well. But within you, you are seeing some emptiness. That's what I mean. Within you, 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 you feel that you are far from the Lord. Something is lacking. That was my experience. I don't mean 20 years ago. I mean when I've become bishop. 
I mean when I've been preaching and people are repenting. I mean when God is still doing miracles through my ministration. This made me to start asking God for grace. Even though I didn't know what I was asking for. And somehow two years ago, I met a group that was talking about this intentional discipleship. I'm talking about intentionality in discipleship. That they say that discipleship can't just happen. There must be intentionality. So, they were looking for church leaders around Africa. Because to them, Africa church is the answer to the world's problem. And they said, before Africa church can do this, the Africa church needs to be repositioned. So, that organization started looking for African church leaders that will be intentionally discipled so that they can go back and disciple members. So now I met them and joined them. Brother, I want to share with you my meeting with them opened my eyes. How? I discovered that despite my long year with the Lord, despite my ministry and what may be termed as success in ministry, I didn't have, I don't have the needed foundation as a Christian. Remember I told you I passed through follow up two times. That does not mean that scripture you don't follow up is inadequate. No. Very, very adequate. Then what do I mean? One major thing is that as I was followed up, I was followed up from a distance. A distance. Though we had leaders, but there was not much people that I can hold on to that this person is my mentor or model. That experience started affecting my life. There was something I shared somewhere. A particular thing that made me to know that something has started happening in me. And I thank God I am with my chaplain here. You know, by opposition and ministry, they are always with us. When I learned this and started a closer walk with the Lord, mark my words, Closer walk with the Lord. Remember, I'm still a Christian. 
closer work. I started seeing changes and transformation. I didn't know that I had this problem of anger. Until when I noticed that whenever people come to me, maybe priests or other people, they will start with, please my Lord, don't be offended. Please, don't be angry. Before they start saying what they want to say. So when I discovered this, I said, ah, but why do they have to start with this? Is it my password? That was when I noticed a problem with anger. But this little journey with the Lord started affecting me. I didn't talk about it. It was my chaplain that said it. Daddy, there's something we are noticing. You are not angry as you used to be. Even when we offend you and we'll be afraid, we don't know how we, daddy will feel. You just laugh it over. It was then that I noticed something new has started happening in me. After 33 years of my work with the Lord, with wonderful testimonies of people, remember, wonderful testimonies of people. So, when we are talking about discipleship, we are not seeing a new thing. And why am I spending time in this? You know, the theme is go ye. And some of us may think that Bishop Abou is here to teach us how we can go and make disciples. That's actually what we are here for. But for you to go, you must become. Praise God. That's why I'm taking time to share this. The state of the church. What we are experiencing now is an indication that there is critical need for Jesus' model of discipleship. There are so many models today. There are so many books on discipleship. But the question is, Jesus stayed with his 12 disciples three years, only three years, and he left them. And that three years impact affected the entire world. What did Jesus do in fishermen that turned them into game changers? What did Jesus do in Matthew, the sinner, that turned Matthew to write the gospel and become a great evangelist? How 
did Jesus handle Mary Magdalene? What happened to Paul? That after his conversion, two years after the persecutor bound to become the propagator. How did Jesus do it? That's what we want to look at. Not just discipleship talking about it because it's in the scripture. And somebody said, there is nothing much wrong with our former method, what we have been doing. It has been wonderful. Sound in doctrine. And like I told you, I passed through wonderful brethren. Very wonderful sound Christian. Handled by great men. But the problem is that it seems, it seems that what we have been using is, is knowledge based. Not obedient based. And that's why when you touch any of us, they will tell you so many things. For instance, for some of us that pass through scripture in unfollow or effect, if you actually now follow up study one, you will just tell me. Study two, you tell me. You know it. It's there. But we are talking about a discipleship model that we both change the head, touch the heart, and use the hand. You get what I'm saying? A method that will affect your knowledge and then change your character in your heart and will cause you to do things that will honor God. Praise the Lord. Jesus' model of discipleship. I said it must be intentional. Jesus' model was intentional. And so, what we are saying is that this church wants to start discipleship intentionally. Intentionally. And then, it must be relational. Relational. Jesus said to his disciples, come and be with me. And discipleship must be life transforming. And must multiply. Discipleship is not a new term in the church. It can be said to be common among all the churches. As I've said. But this has given it a lot of meanings. So, what is actually discipleship? Before we say that, let's say what discipleship is not. Discipleship is not a program to run. It's not a program. But... A lifelong process. That is to say, we don't graduate. You don't graduate. Because my understanding was that once I finish my follow-up, then I'm, I've been discipled. That's not true. Discipleship is not a training to conduct. Now that we're organizing this weekend program, and you said we, we, we are there in the program, we are Bishop Abbott taught about discipleship. I have been discipled. No. We are not actually here to do discipleship. We are here to challenge us to start discipleship. 
Discipleship is not a cost to write. It's not a cost. But a doable and lifelong assignment. Discipleship is not another Bible study, but a life on life mentoring. Discipleship is not covering a curriculum, but a relational life investment. Life investment. Sharing life. Pouring life into another. Somebody said, it is only the heart that can touch the heart. The head doesn't touch the heart. That is to say, whatever thing I am pouring here from my head cannot transform you. It is only when it is my life that I am sharing that can change another life. It's only heart that can change the heart. Discipleship is not assigning another department but ethos of the church. It's not a department so that we said this is discipleship department. It is the life of the church. It is the, it is the character of the church. Christian discipleship can be defined as the intentional lifelong process of spiritual development. Lifelong process of spiritual development which occurs in an environment of teaching and loving accountability. Teaching is there but love relationship must be part of it. Whereby the believer progressively moves from spiritual infancy to maturity. Ultimately repeating the process with others. That is to say, when you mature, you then now raise others and the cycle continues. From this definition, effective discipleship or disciple making is intentional. That is to say, disciple making does not happen automatically because someone attends church or conference but when someone takes personal responsibility to help someone else to grow in Christ. You know this, this uh, most of our churches, not all of them anyway, on Sundays we said, if you know today is your first time of attending this church, can you raise up your hand? When they raise up their hand, they are welcomed. People welcome them and some go to the extent of asking them to see somebody after the service. And those people they see, in some churches, they will ask them, you ask them some questions. Either encourage them to attend Bible study within the week, or give them the program of the church, on whichever way we do it. But if you look at critically, from those newcomers, you don't actually see a program, organized program, of, of raising and developing members in most of our churches. Just welcome them, Tell them what to do and leave them there. Another one is in our baptism. The nature of our baptism, our fathers organize it in a way that every person that is to be baptized, it should be sponsored by three persons. These three persons are meant to disciple the one that is baptized. But what do we do today? Sometimes the priest will insist that sponsors must come for preparatory. They will be told, you should be praying for this person. You should visit him. Make sure you nurture him to confirmation. They will say yes, they will do that. And they come for baptism. And you know where the mistake starts. 
parents, who do you choose as sponsors for your baptism? In my understanding, it shouldn't be parents that should be choosing. It should be the priests that should be assigning members, mature members, to newcomers that should be baptized. But now parents make their choice. And what forms our choice? For instance, now that you are in the hospital environment, assuming you had a lot of challenges during the pregnancy, and one doctor helped you so much, and that doctor is an Anglican, once you deliver, ah, is <laughs> the number one person. Or somebody in your church, very prominent, known, that person will become your sponsor. And you know some of us, we have sponsored hundreds of people that we don't know them. I am guilty of that. Just last week, when we attended Church of Nigeria Standing Committee at Onisha, somebody, boy, heard that I, I, I was there. He said, he must see me. He was telling somebody I was staying in his house. That he must see me. That I was his a godfather in baptism. The man told me, said, one of your sons said he will see you that is here. So, okay, let him come. He came. Close. I was greeting me. Say, bro, how are you? But who are you? Said, you are my godfather. He said, you remember that woman? He called one woman. It was when I was a priest at cathedral, a curate. He named one woman and said, I lived with that woman as a small boy. And during baptism, you were one of my sponsors. See, when that woman died, I relocated to Onisha. A small boy. He's now a big man. A trader. And I don't know him. I don't remember him. So, with this system, how do we think we will mature? Newcomers, no organized program to nurture them. It's not intentional. Okay, look at even the fellowships that are very intentional and, and committed to that. A member will come in the organized follow-up program. They will be assigned to classes. But in some places, some will stop halfway. And nobody looks for them. Some other people will pass through the thing, but just collect the head knowledge. Nobody gets closer to them to know whether what is being taught is practiced. Another problem with that is that even sometimes, somebody will be teaching you quiet time. We have not been doing quiet time for over one year. He will tell you, quiet time is important to Every Christian must do it and it must be by 2 a.m. See, get your daily guide or daily mountain. Get a note where you read, ask questions, write and pray. And have you discovered today that people no longer talk about quiet time? What we talk about is midnight prayer. Prayer without studying the scripture. We emphasize talking to God without hearing Him. Discipleship 
must be intentional. Must be intentional. Number two, it is lifelong. Disciple making is not a six week course one takes. It begins when a person first trusts in Christ. Once you are born again, you are giving your life to Jesus. You start discipleship and it continues throughout your life until you and mature until you fully reflect Christ. Where? Where will we fully reflect Christ? In heaven, not here. Not here. There's no graduate in the church. That's why we don't have classes when we come to church service. But in every school, everybody knows his class or year. No graduation. It's lifelong. So at, at whatever age, you need to be discipled, but with different curriculum. Three, discipleship must be biblical. Disciples grow in maturity as they are trained to understand, believe, and obey the truths of the Bible. The truths of the Bible. Why are we saying this? You know that today it started in the Pentecostal but it's coming into the Anglican church. Where there is figure worship. Personality worship. You see somebody saying I am his disciple. I am following him. What they are copying is not necessarily biblical. They are just following him because he's popular. And some other people read books not because of the content of the book, but because of the author. Once this man is saying, he wrote this book, said I must read it. Christian books and literature, they are wonderful. But the basic tool for discipleship is the Bible. Basic. And whatever thing you are doing on that discipleship that is not based on the Bible, you are raising somebody that will destroy the faith. Not just destroy himself. So discipleship must be biblical. Number four. It must be relational. Relational. This is an aspect that Personally, I feel we are not doing wonderfully well here. The discipleship journey is challenging and not meant to be done alone. Through ongoing relationship with mature believers, the truths of Christ are modeled and applied in the context of encouragement and accountability. Relationship. Like I said, I went through two sets of follow-up. What I liked that time was a close relationship with a mature believer. We only meet when we come for fellowship. 
I, I remember one or two has visited me. But the visit was on demand. And you know, until you begin to work closely with somebody, he may not open up his heart. And until you begin that relationship that somebody can trust you to open up his heart, he may be dying inwardly and you think he's okay. So, that's why, you know, Jesus' method, he said to Peter, come and be with me. They were with him. John, when he was writing the piece, he said, we we are with him, we ate together with him. Brethren, the pulpit salmon, somehow is for information. It doesn't change people deeply. That's why people will cry and cry under a hot message. But the question after the cry should be is, what do I do, brethren? When they ask that question and there's nobody close to answer what you do, that person will go back. I don't know whether you've experienced that. Once a powerful message goes out, the question is, what do I do, brethren? And it is at that point that discipleship comes to say, this is what you do. And this is what you do, it's not just by talking. It is follow me. Look at me, how I do it. That's relationship in discipleship. And that's why it is advised that discipleship should not be done as seminars. You don't just carry everybody as I'm discipling the whole church. For instance, it will be too difficult and if I'm not practicable, for venerable, no matter how committed he is to disciple all of you, the much he can do is to disciple 10 or 12 who will now disciple others. Because that relationship very, very important. Praise the Lord. Again, it is missional. Missional in the sense that the goal of personal transformation is to extend to others the opportunity to trust and follow Christ as well. Especially where he is least known. When you become a disciple, it is a demand on you to make others disciples. That's the missionary. And so, if the church has been doing real discipleship, there will be no time we will say we are going out for evangelism. We won't have evangelism week. We will not have evangelism department because everybody will be an evangelist. It is missional. Number six. Discipleship is transformational. The goal of every disciple is to become transformed more and more like Christ. A disciple a disciple is not expected to just wear the name of Christ, but must also be changed by him and reflect him to others. The goal of discipleship is transformation. Your life will change. That's when you begin to sing, what I used to do, I do them no more. Until that happens in your life, you've not started. That's the goal. 
transformation, your life will change. As I was telling you, that's the testimony of how I changed. Because I, I learned to see world and people differently. Even when somebody wants to annoy me, I see it from a different angle. No, this ministry is not easy. So, my perspective changed and it affected my heart. Things that ordinarily will worry me, don't worry me again, don't disturb me again. Because I am seeing things differently. I'm not rich. There are still other areas I'm asking God's grace. But I'm not saying that discipleship is a work with the Lord that will reflect not in what, how much you've acquired here, but on how much this place has been changed. Not to become like anybody else, but becoming like Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Discipleship is reproducible. Discipleship does not end with one disciple. The growing disciple must also become committed and skillful at reproducing other mature disciples who can make disciples of others. This is much we want to say today. And what I am sharing, like I said at the beginning, is my passion. Is my passion because I see it as the key ministry of the church. Last year in our diocese in Suka, we declared it from 2020 to 2030, decade of discipleship. And we, we it wasn't just to be a senior team. We deliberately and intentionally told them that we will start with us the clergymen. Just like God gave me grace to have started myself. I have not graduated. But I invited my clergymen and because I cannot disciple all of them, I picked four of them. Four Archdeacons. December 2019, we started and to the glory of God, what God is doing in the lives of these four archdeacons is wonderful. Last November, we brought in all the archdeacons. All of them. And we are meeting every three months for three full days, studying together. But the issue is not studying. The issue is the relationship that affects Character and life. As one well Archdeacon, I because we the demand of this is that you know the person and know him well, visit him and relate closely. So even when I was sharing with my Archdeacons that this is what we'll be doing. They were thinking that it will, for bishop, you can't do that. Until last week, I called one of them and said, I am coming to your church. 
on a Sunday just to visit you, not for church service. He said, okay, that will be there. So that Sunday, I asked him when I started service, he said 9 o'clock. By 8 that I was there. He said, he said, my Lord Bishop, what will you do? Are you preaching or? Said, I'm not doing anything. I've just come to visit you. So I was in the service. He was still waiting for when I will speak. I said, I've not come to say anything in the church. I stayed throughout the service. We dismissed around 12. Then we went to his house. He said, just I've come to stay with you, to take the lunch with you and discuss. We discussed and discussed and discussed till around 3. We were not discussing assessment. We were not discussing the, the architectural plan of their new church. We didn't discuss how to make the church grow. We were discussing our personal lives. And I remember this, my friend, said so many times within the discussion, my bishop, I am telling you this for the first time. My bishop have not said this thing to anybody, including my wife. And how could I have had that if I didn't make out time to stay with him? And after the visit, we become closer. Intentional. Intentional. Many of us are dying silently and spiritually in the church. Silently. We are doing cover up. Cover up. Many don't know much. Don't know much. I mean even head knowledge. They don't know. All that they know is that, that they, we are born into the church. And if you touch such people, they will tell you, I was born an Anglican. I will die Anglican. And they will want you to clap for them. So when you go to heaven, you will tell God, I was born Anglican. And I died Anglican. Is it in, the, in God's record? Wonderful! You remain Anglican. That's good! We have members. But... How can it be? What, what will God say to us? When at the end of the day, these numbers, very few will make heaven. And then God will remove the priests as we read from Ezekiel. The priests, you didn't do anything. Prophets, you were telling people lies. He came down that, the last verse we read, and said, I was looking for a man, not too many people, one man, one man, one man, that will change the story, that will change our method. What I'm saying is that our methodology must change. If you had invited me for this program three years ago, I would not speak in this way. I would have started sweating now. He said, God, don't change you. I will sweat and sweat. No result. 
No result. One canon, a great evangelist, came to my house. I was sharing this with him. He said, Bishop, I've discovered this. So it was, he said, it was last year that I started asking myself a question. All these crusades and this number that give their life to Jesus, how many remained? How many? How many can we account for? Brother, it is only now that I can tell you at least among the inner house of the clergy, they are spiritual states. Now. Because we are closer, we are working together, not working in the sense of judging them. Not the working, not working with the mindset of knowing who is getting it or who is not getting it. We are working together to encourage one another because I still need the encouragement. Remember, discipleship is lifelong. Nobody grudges. So as you are discipling another person, that person is also helping you. Mutual encouragement. Don't you see where we are now? In the midnight, like those of you that, that are gifted in prayers, people will call you. Please pray for me, pray for me. There's one terrible dream I have now. When will it stop? One man praying for everybody. And so we complain that I called him, he didn't answer. Eh? That's not the program of God. The program of God is to raise everybody to stand. And what do you do in your house, mommy? Your children, do you have any speaker? among them. One that is, speaks for them. They all have access to you and have the same rights. That's what it should be. Yes, we, there are gifts. There are diverse gifts. But every one of us is relevant in the kingdom of God. Just like in the same family, you may have four boys. One read medicine, one law, one architecture. But no matter your field, you belong to your parents. And you have access to them. So why we not say it is only the doctor that will be speaking for us? Doctor is for service, not on the relationship or position. But we are raising infants. Infants, adult infants in the church. The story we started with, Venerable Okorafo. People we are looking for interpreting revival in their own way. Brethren, true revival, true revival can only come when we have the right foundation of our feet. This thing I'm sharing with you. In fact, that's, I've told my people, that's what I am now living for until I die. And I've taken some, some, uh, what, what I call it, some decisions that are, seem to be abnormal. For instance, I started this discipleship with some of my lay pastors, the catechists. Some of the 12 of them. They will come, we go to a place, we stay together, we eat together. For 
For last year, the whole of last year, we did it. They were still suspecting what I was up to. We met last week. They were telling me. How can Bishop call them and say we are doing discipleship? And then after some study, during lunch, they will eat together. They didn't understand. Some of them said, one said the first time he was invited, he deliberately refused to come. We called him and called him and called him. He, he didn't pick his call. He didn't come. It was the second time he came. But last week he was telling us. The second time he came, he was coming because he said, there's no way he can dodge Bishop. Since it was Bishop that invited him. So he came with fear. And he said, but surprising when he came, instead of the rebuke that he should have received, he was celebrated. He said that changed his mentality. So it's bringing us closer. It must be intentional. It must start in every church. What we are working towards is where by we will have small say groups that will be doing discipleship at different categories for believers, for, for young converts, for maturing believers, and for leaders. So that, you know, like you that uh, internship like this, you just come to church, and some of us, we don't know our name. Sister, the other sister that said to Matthew. <laughs> That's the much you know. The other sister, the other sister. The other sister that works at the government house. And then you change to, and in your phone, you check your phone, your, your contact list, you see Sister Tomato. <laughs> yes! Check, check, check your phone. See? Sister Government House. Sister Gynecology. <laughs> you don't know yourself up to knowing names. And how do you impact one another? I said, even our tradition, a minute, so look, look at now our altar. Look at the chancel with a very big barricade. We just push our leaders inside there. They will stay there after the service with all the orders. Stand up, sit down. At the end, there will be a processional scheme. And you will stand. Look at this wide way. It is so wide so that you will not touch them. And they will walk away. Come back and say, go! Can you go? Go with your No contact. When he will visit you, you will make sure you prepare yourself. Sometimes if he visits an emergency, you say you should have told us you are coming now. You get yourself prepared. We hide. We cover up. And so, sin, secret sin is eating you deep. You don't like it. Oh. You are struggling. But there is nobody that has shared with you how he overcame the same sin. Whom you will follow. And sometimes you think, 
That's how it, it, it is. Everybody has his own fault. Devil will tell you. Everybody has his own fault. Just manage it. Jesus will understand. Is it a laughing matter? We are dying in silence. The answer is discipleship. There's a call from heaven. If you listen now to churches, to new books, it's like every church is talking about discipleship. Every church. And let me tell you, Church of Nigeria has already adopted this. Church of Nigeria is saying we are doing discipleship. GAFCON has declared 2020 to 2030 decade of discipleship. So it's like heaven is saying, this is what I need. This is what I need. I'm talking about church. Even family. I was sharing this type of thing. In Kebia, I went for a program just on, on this. I was talking with the clergy. We did one Bible study on family. Family discipleship. At a time, I asked husband and wife to discuss and answer some questions. After that section, somebody came out and asked Dickie, he said to me, Bishop, for 12 years I've married. I'm telling you that it is now that I am knowing my wife. One said, I've been hearing about tears of joy. It was today that I experienced tears of joy talking with my wife in Bible study. Because their eyes were opened on how they should relate as husband and wife who are Christians. So even at our homes, where we should nurture our children and help one another to grow as Christians, we are not doing much. And some of us think that it is ACM that will nurture your children for you. You push them to ACM and think you, you are doing well. Every Sunday you will show that your children are coming to the children's service. They have their role to play and you have your role to play. Not this. You cannot be a discipler until you have been discipled. Have you been discipled? By who? And when? How is your relationship with the Lord? I'm praying that God will help us this week. Like I said, today, I've just concentrated on showing us the need. Tomorrow, by the grace of God, we look at the how of discipleship. The aim is that by the end of this retreat, by the end of this retreat, we would have come to a decision of how to engage in intentional discipleship in this church. Let us pray. I just want you to pray for yourself. As you ask this question, am I truly a disciple of the Lord? Am I truly a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ?
What must I do from now? Is there anything that I need to change? Is there any specific action that I should take? Lord, thank you for your word this evening. We are sorry for the state of the church. And we confess that we are guilty. The priests, the prophets, the people, we are all guilty. Jesus, you called men and made them disciples. Make us, O oh Lord, so that we be able to go make others. As we've laid this foundation in this evening, help us that from tomorrow you will sow seeds that will bring a total transformation in our lives and in your church. Holy Spirit, make this message clearer in our hearts and bring the needed transformation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.